continuing our sermon series on prayer. And as we've been journeying through, we've been using this paradigm from Richard Foster. I say this like every week. We talked about um, first inward prayers, which were not prayers into ourselves, but they were prayers seeking the inward transformation of God. And then after we've done that, then we've gone and we've begun upward prayer. So last week was our first upward prayer. And these are prayers where we're seeking the intimacy of God. And so the first of them we did adoration. We just sang praises and gratefulness to God. And today we're doing something called contemplative prayer. This Psalm 46, if it's familiar to you, this be still and know that I am God kind of prayer. And, you know, I've been thinking about this in the week and preparing for the sermon. I grew up going to this, this summer camp. And I remember there was this one counselor, his name was Al, and eventually I got to be a counselor alongside him. He was a counselor when I was a camper, and then we got to counsel alongside one another. And he had this, this theory about camp counseling, that whenever we had a camper who was like acting out or having trouble participating in the programming, Al would go and would spend some time with the camper, and he would ask them one thing, just one question. This was always his thing. He would ask the camper, so tell me about Jesus. What do you think about him? What's he like? And they would talk about that. And Al was convinced that he could learn just about everything that he needed to know about what the camper was going through, struggling with, whatever it might be, by asking that one question, by asking what they thought of, what they imagined when they thought about Jesus. Now, I'm not sure I put as much stock in the idea as Al did. I might have asked a couple of more questions or different questions. But as I've grown in my faith, I have realized that how we think about God how we think about Jesus and what he is like and what he does, it actually teaches us a lot about who we are as Christians. And I feel like if you think about it for a minute, you'd probably feel the same way, right? So maybe you actually, you, we can put this into practice. So maybe you know a Christian who thinks a lot, like a lot about Jesus' teaching on grace, but very, very little about his teaching on sin, right? And you're like, okay, that tells me a little bit about the kind of Christian that they are, right? Or the inverse of that, someone who remembers a lot about what Jesus had to say about sin, but very, very little about what he had to say about grace and forgiveness, right? Or maybe you know someone who's, who's very, very focused on the Jesus who flipped over tables in the temple and called the Pharisees a brood of vipers, but they don't seem to remember at all, the Jesus who said to the woman caught in adultery, neither do I condemn you, or the Jesus who challenged people to turn the other cheek and bless those who persecute them. The truth is, all of these stories are stories of Jesus, and we need to hold all of them together. And of course, each of us will be drawn to some parts more than others based upon what we've experienced in our lives, but we can't write off any of it, right? Well, preparing for this sermon... I've been reminded of one of these parts, one of these aspects of Jesus that it seems to me like most of our modern readers of the Bible totally skip over. We read it put most concisely in Luke chapter 5, verse 16. It says, but Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. We don't talk a lot about the Jesus who went off and spent time being alone with God. But Luke 5.16 says he did this often. And when I think about it, he did. Right After his baptism, he went away for 40 days. When his, when his cousin, John the Baptist, was beheaded, he went away by himself to grieve. Early in his ministry, he snuck off and spent the whole night alone praying. 
just before he's arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane. He asked his friends to come along with him and stay near, but then he went along further to be alone with God. That's just a few examples. And just the ones that, that, have been, that we have recorded. If Luke 5.16 is to be believed, and I think it should be, <laughs> there are likely many, many more examples of this kind of thing happening. But for whatever reason, we almost never talk about the Jesus who spent time alone with God. It's like, it's like we read those parts of the story and they just fall straight out of our brain. It's a crazy phenomenon, but I do have a theory as to why this happens. So we, as a culture, in the culture that we're in, we are very, very focused on our doings, right? Much, much more focused on the things that we do, our doings, than our beings. Much more focused on our doings than our identity, than who we are, right? Like, like we're much more concerned with what we do than who we are. I, I, okay, I'm getting some nods. <laughs> um, we, are, we are fixated on what people do, do, do. So when we look at Jesus and we look at the story, we remember with a great deal of clarity all of the things he did and said. You know, the sermon that he preaches and, or the, the healing that he did or the, the calming of the sea. Like all of these things, we remember those, those things that he did. And then when we come to the parts of the story where he's actively not doing, we naturally read it as like a refrain, right? It's just a break between the doings. It's not part of the story, but it is, right? Like, like it's in there for a reason. Nothing's made it into our Bibles by mistake, right? This is a vital part of the story. The moments when Jesus stopped to not do but to be. So this is hard for us, right? The world we live in, the culture we're in, it's hard for us to think of it this way. But if we are going to be disciples of Jesus, people who are seeking to follow after him with our whole lives, I don't think we have the luxury of writing off his regular practice of silence and solitude. And I don't think we can look at this and say that it was just a Jesus thing and it's not for us, right? Actually, my conviction is that these practices, silence and solitude, are potentially some of the most important spiritual practices that we can have in our lives, and especially for young people. For a large portion of our population today, I would argue that the primary spiritual problem that they face is distraction. We are perpetually distracted. And unlike years gone by, it is entirely possible to be distracted by a never-ending stream of new content from the time you wake up to the time you go to sleep until you die. <laughs> and everything, everything, everything that comes feels like a crisis. And nothing ever can or should wait. And if you happen to be one of the people who does have some leisure time, the pressure to fill it with something meaningful can be almost overwhelming. Because if you're not busy, are you valuable? Whether it's, a, it's a, a restaurant or a doctor's office or anything in between, if you show up and you're the only person there, you might at first be like, oh, lucky me, right? Isn't that great? I, I'm the only one here. And then you'll probably go, wait a minute. 
why isn't anyone here, <laughs> right? Because being busy, market demand, that is how we know someone's value. But as Christians, that's actually not how we know someone's value. Our value is intrinsic. It is rooted in the truth that we bear God's image. That all people bear God's image. Our worth and value is found entirely in him, not in us, not in our doing, not in how busy we are or how many people are you know, trying to get our time and attention. Our identity, our being as his children, his beloved children. So the prayer that we're talking about this week is, I think, a beautiful and perhaps prophetic response to our culture's problem with distraction and addiction to production. And we find the invitation right here in Psalm 46. Perhaps the words are familiar to you already. We heard it in the video of the psalm. Be still and know that I am God. Sounds easy, right? (laughs) Wrong. At least for me. I can't speak for you, but very wrong. A couple of years ago, it was coming up to the season of Lent, and I felt really convicted that productivity had become an idol in my life. And so I decided that I would try to implement a practice of fasting from productivity for some time every day. The way that I would do it is just by sitting quietly in God's presence and turning my attention to Him. No prayer to offer, no, no praise to bring, just trying to sit and turn my attention to Him. And this is what we call contemplative prayer. It's, it's basically just responding to Psalm 46.10, be still and know that I'm God. And so here I was with the commitment to spend time doing this every day for 40 days. Just, just fasting from this idol in my life of productivity. And let me tell you, this was one of the most difficult things that I have ever done. Every day, every day I would go in and I'd start negotiating with myself, right? I'd be like, well... You know, maybe while I'm sitting, like wasting time with God, not being productive, like I could just like reach for my toes a little bit, get a bit of a stretch in. You know, like actually, like this is what I'd be like, I just like a little bit of stretching because then, then it's not entirely wasted time, right? Then I get a little bit back of my time. And I remember one day I sat in the bathtub because I was like, may, I'm, like, at least I'm like getting a little clean. You know, like something is happening. I'm like, I just, it, it bothered me. It was so Hard to just sit and do nothing with God. All kinds of different little tricks I tried to steal back the time that I was wasting with God. And I started, I did, you know, over the course of 40 days, I did start to see some real benefits in my relationship with God. I found that the spinning distraction in my head that at the beginning took like the whole time to finally quiet you know, towards the end of that 40 days, it took a lot less time for that to quiet and for me to just sit and be present. I was even able to begin enjoying the time. And yeah, I, I had some, some really beautiful, tender experiences of God's presence in the midst of that, which I knew, this is the wonderful thing, I knew was not anything to do with me and not initiated by me because I wasn't doing anything. It was him, it was his blessing, his desire to come and be with me, his child, and I felt so loved. 
So this was a really huge blessing, but it was still difficult. It is still difficult. Like, I have grown in my appreciation from this kind of prayer, and it's become a regular part of my devotional practice to just spend some time sitting with God. And when I am not busy, um, when, you know, I'm, I'm like in a good routine, like this is something I can cling to, but as soon as I get busy, as soon as the day starts to fill up, this is the first thing I to go. The first thing that I drop. Because it's so hard to justify doing nothing with God. But that's why I'm so excited to be able to practice these things together as a church. Because I know that even in the writing of this sermon, I have been reminded that the busy and the stressful and the difficult times of life are probably the times, not when I should throw this away, but that I actually need it the most. And I don't think that I'm alone in thinking that. As I look at Psalm 46, it seems to me that this would have been a very difficult time for the psalmist as well. A time perhaps when they would have preferred really to be doing something rather than being still. You know, we read in the context of the whole psalm, the author isn't receiving the call to be still in the midst of an easy season. But I know we must be thinking, well, if I'm going to waste time with God, then it's going to be when I have extra time to burn, right? But this psalm begins and ends with the remembrance of God as our protector. And the reason the psalmist needs to remember God is his protector becomes very clear as you start to read the psalm. The, the, the psalmist talks about the earth giving way, mountains falling into the sea. In verse 6, he says, nations are in uproar, kingdoms fall. And later on, in, in verse 9, there's this building that happens. It's talking about God, and he says he makes wars cease, he breaks the bows, he shatters the spears, he, he burns the shields with them. And and like all of this, this cacophony of things is happening. And then, and then out of that, we hear God speaks. And what does he say? In all of that madness and cacophony and, and burning of, of shields and spears and broken things, he doesn't say, take up arms and fight with me. He doesn't say, rah, rah, this is our time. This is our time. We're going to war. He says, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. Not you, me, right? I will be exalted in the earth. Not you, me. I will be exalted in the earth. That's what God says. And then the psalmist returns to this repeated phrase, the God of Jacob is our fortress. In times of trouble, when everything is falling apart, that is the most important time for us to remember to spend this time alone with God. And I even see it as I went back and I looked at John's gospel. And, and they, they have this, you know, Jesus and his disciples have had this, uh, this conversation, the, the, the Last Supper in the upper room, and, and they're, they're on their way to the Garden of Gethsemane where he's going to be betrayed, right? And, and sometime in between there, they, Jesus has this time of talking to his disciples. And and this is like right on the cusp of a very hard time, right? Like just, you know, it could be hours later, Jesus is going to be taken away from them to be crucified. And he says, I am the vine and you are the branches. If you abide in me, if you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. 
friends, contemplative prayer, which, which people like um, Henry Nouwen and Gardini describe simply as wasting time with God, is, I think, one of the most important things that we can do as followers of Jesus today. And let me explain a, a little more clearly why the why behind that, because I know that it can, can make our brains bend a little bit to think about it. See, when we practice contemplative prayer, what we are doing is we are laying on an altar to God two of our most precious resources. The first one is probably obvious. We are putting on the altar, we are offering to God as the sacrificial offering of our time. We all have a finite amount of time and we can never get it back. Are you ready to make an offering of your time to Jesus by lavishly laying it down for him? The second, and maybe less obvious, but possibly even more valuable thing, we devote to him, we offer to him sacrificially our attention, which it seems is becoming a more and more finite resource in our lives. If you talk to people in the tech world right now, um, that thing, attention, more than just about anything else is the most important commodity. Everything that we face in our day-to-day lives, on our devices, out and about, like is trying to grab at our attention, trying to get a little piece of our focus. And in contemplative prayer, this be still and know that I am God kind of prayer, we give that valuable, valuable thing entirely to God, with no expectation of a payout at the end, just because he is worthy. But it is good for us to have this this time spent sensitive to the presence of God. It reminds me of what I was talking about at the beginning of our service today during the announcements, the the story from last week of the person who, who had said, I was afraid to share, but I could feel that nudging at my heart. When we tune our heart to listen for his voice, we get to know it better. And this helps us to follow after him. Because even when the wind and the rains and the storms of life come, if we know his voice, we can pick it up from within the cacophony of other sounds around us. That's what we're doing in contemplative prayer. So, as I have said all the way through our series, prayer is something that is best learned in the doing rather than in the talking about. So, we are going to practice this today together. We're so blessed that this week we also get to celebrate communion. So, we're going to try something a little bit different for communion this morning. Uh, Communion is something that we joyously receive from God. It's a celebration and a remembrance of God's amazing love for us and the new life that we have through the death of Jesus. Contemplative prayer is also a receiving kind of prayer. We, we, We turn our eyes to him, but we don't have anything to bring, right? And perhaps, perhaps God will choose to come and give to us the good gift of his presence. And so, I, I just, in my mind, I was thinking, and like, these things go together so beautifully. This is, this is an opportunity for us as a church, as individuals and together, to practice receiving from God. 
Not, not giving, not, not giving to him, not, not you know, bringing our strength or our whatever. We are going to lay on the altar our time and our attention, certainly. But hopefully, we'll receive of his love. So today what I'm actually going to do is I'm going to begin by sh- sharing our, our communion liturgy, reading the, the verses that remind us of the importance And then I'm going to ask folks to come up and just grab a a communion pack for themselves. And if your neighbor has mobility issues, uh, maybe just ask them if they would like you to grab one for them. And you can do that for them. Um, And then you're going to return to your seat and not take communion. You're going to get it. We'll have read the liturgy. You're going to come back to your seat and you're going to not take communion. And instead, I'm going to invite you to waste some time with God. To sit in his presence, to turn your mind to him. And, and here's the truth. Um, Gurion talks about this and he says, like, if the only thing that we get out of contemplative prayer is a reminder of how distracted and busy we are, we have gotten something out of it. That might be your experience today. And that's okay. And that is good and beautiful. And it's a reminder, right? And then we ask the question, well, what do we do with that? Um, but I, yeah, come back to your seats. You're going to take your, the, the, the communion pack. You're going to come back to your seat and you're going to sit and, and waste time with God. Sit in his presence. And then, when it feels like the right moment, as you are listening to God, take, eat, and drink. And then continue to sit in his presence. And I'm going to give us, you know, a decent amount of time. It might be uncomfortable to sit and to listen and then we're going to respond in worship together. Uh, does that, and I, oh, and I should say, we do have an open table as free Methodists. Uh, so, so if you are a Christian, you don't need to be a member of our local church. If you are a Christian, if you have been saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, you are welcome to come and partake in communion today. Okay? So does that all make sense? Yeah? Okay. So, so then let's, let's remember today. In the night of his betrayal, Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, take, eat, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in like manner, after supper, he took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, drink of this, all of you. For this is my blood of the New Testament, of the New Covenant, which is shed for you and for many for the remission of sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. I'm just going to pray. Lord, Lord, prepare our hearts today. Prepare our hearts as we come to you in confession. Lord, we confess our sins and ask again for your forgiveness. Prepare our hearts as we seek after your presence, God. I pray for protection. Lord, as we sit and turn our eyes to you, come and speak. Lord, we desire your closeness, the intimacy that comes from just being with you. Speak to our hearts today as we follow your command to eat and remember and, procl- and drink and remember and proclaim your death until you're coming again.
Bless these elements as we take of them, Lord. We pray this in your name. Amen. So I'll invite you as you're able to come up to take of a, a, one of our communion packs here, to return to your seat and to just spend some time sitting in God's presence and, uh, and take and eat as you feel you're ready. Thanks for listening to the Blue Mountain Community Church Podcast. May God's word fill you up this week. God bless.